0: Welcome to the GMS Podcast with me, Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in, folks. Another great episode. We got a pretty big episode, actually. It's pretty action-packed. Got a lot of content for y'all. Our main guest is comedian Mean Dave. However, before we get to him, we have a movie review by Jacob Wheels. He went over to check out the film I, Tanya, which is getting a lot of Oscar buzz. And uh, let's just say he had some interesting thoughts about it. But before we get there, reminder for first-time listeners, you can subscribe to the JMS Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. You can follow the JMS Podcast on your social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can check out jmspodcast.com website for more content, and you can email me at jmspodcast at gmail.com. Alright, really, you shouldn't waste any more time. Let's get straight to the movie review with Jacob Wheels. But, uh, are you ready?
1: Yeah. Let me just tell you something. Are you recording? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's right. up? So, okay. So I went up to the I went up to the uh, the, um, the the box office, right? Uh-huh. And I'm like, let me get one for I Tanya. right? And the guy's uh-huh. like, oh, you know, this is a rated R movie. Like, I'm gonna need you to see your ID. And I said, you know shut who the, I am? Shut the front I, door. I am San Jose's best film critic. You better get me into this movie right now.
0: When you were ex- explaining to them that you're the best film critic, I was San like, Jose. I
1: am the best film critic. Get me into this movie. Uh And here's my Stubbs account And I gave him my phone number (laughs) (laughs) That really He asked you for ID? He asked me for ID What the fuck? I don't know Obviously he doesn't know who I am Maybe he was so shocked You have a beard (laughs) I know (laughs) Maybe he was so shocked He's like I don't think this guy's the world's (laughs) Was he high? I was some old dude He was probably on Some kind of Vicodin or something Was he hitting on you? Maybe it was a compliment He was hitting on you Maybe maybe he just wanted to make sure I was the I was the world's best Film critic Sorry, he I'm, asked, I'm working up to the world. He asked you for your ID, <laughs> not for ID. not for your
0: uh, credit card. What, Cri- your know, My uh, credit card? Membership card.
1: I was like, I have a shirt. I don't need a <laughs> card. All
0: right, let's get to the show. <laughs> Welcome to another uh, Wheels on Reels with Jacob Wheels. Dun, 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 dun. Is that the Superman uh, I thought you were name? going with Indiana Jones. Uh, Indi- was that dun, Indiana dun, Jones? I don't know. Dun, 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 but but don't uh, know here doing. in the studio, we have the best film critic in San Jose yep. and possibly beyond. Uh, yeah, I know some Martians are listening in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob Wheels, how you doing? I'm doing all right.
1: You know, I saw a movie. Yeah. It was this movie. Which movie is it? Tanya. The haters always say Tanya, tell the truth.
2: There's no such thing as truth. Everyone has their own truth. I was the best figure skater in the world at one point in time.
1: Call out a clean skate? Stop talking to her. That girl is your enemy. Who's that? Jeff was my first date ever. And my mom came. You need to see a wholesome American family. I don't have a wholesome American family. Nothing's ever your fault. I was embarrassed for you.
2: My entire life, I've been told I wouldn't amount to anything. And you know what? Maybe I would.
0: 4.8.
1: How do I get a fair shot here? We also judge on presentation. We're ah! on... getting
2: even, even the playing field. I know a guy, shouldn't even be saying his name Derek. Set
0: the press wanted me to be the pile of crap. I never did this. What is going on? We're with the FBI. They
2: know something. What can you tell us about Tanya Harding? I don't know
0: a Tony Harding. <laughs> Aren't you her bodyguard?
1: When I was a kid, did you ever love me? I made you a champion, knowing you'd hate me for it. That's the sacrifice a mother makes. He cursed me. America, they want someone to love, they want someone to hate.
2: What kind of friggin' person bashes in their
0: friend's knee? Who would do that to a friend?
2: Stop that.
1: Alright, tanya <laughs> Not Atanya, tanya
0: I-Tanya tanya it is directed by uh, Craig Gillespie No mm-hmm. relations to the jazz uh, trumpeter Yep, uh, I get that And the star who's getting a lot of Oscar buzz Is Margot Robbie, Robbie. I can't say her Margot?
1: name Margot. Is it Margot? Margot. that's how it says on the thing I thought it was Margot
0: And the critic's choice is Margot Robbie, I-Tanya
1: You know what, for the longest time She's Australian, you know. Sometimes you, you can't is tell. She, I don't like... know. I I honestly thought she was she was the the wife for my Name is Earl for the longest time. They do look similar. <laughs> they look so similar. Her, her name's something press, uh, Preston. Jamie Presley. Yeah, yeah I think J- it's Jamie. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jamie Presley. I fr- I was like when I was watching this movie, I was like, you could replace her with, it. Uh-huh. and like you can still get that same trailer pr- trailer trailer park vibe uh uh-huh. Because this is, like, really trailer... Like, I guess Tanya Hardy was uh, was from the trailer part. Yeah, well, look at it
0: to hold it yourself. So pretty much, as far as we know, this movie is a, uh autobiography, or uh, uh, a biopic, actually, film. A biopic? A biopic mm-hmm. of competitive ice skater Tanya Harding, mm-hmm. who had controversy back in the day because uh, she... Uh, she They thought she's the mastermind of taking her competition out. No. yeah, dude. You know, that, that classic... Uh, video they showed on the news of, of Nancy Kerrigan scre- uh, crying out wow why? <laughs> yeah. why oh that's so good
1: <laughs> I, I
0: don't think you're supposed to look at it as, as a very good thing you
1: know it's good acting um, but Tonya Harding yeah Tonya Harding how did it go I liked it it was, it was cool I have some yeah it was cool I liked it Uh huh. I don't have anything to say about it can we end the review now uh, that's it, that's thank, it. Thank, thank you for, you're for tuning in you're welcome everyone wow that was uh, fast yeah yeah. No, but it was a good movie, man. I like what they're doing. It had style. Like, like like one of the things they said was, like, this is, like, Goodfellas, with, like, but for figure skating. And I was like, I can see that. You know what I mean? They got that whole, like, like cool vibe, but for figure skating, which is not cool, which is weird. But, you know, cool uh-huh. vibes. So is it kind of like Scorsese kind of? No, not really. Kind of style to it? That chaotic editing? And- I mean, it is very chaotic, and the camera movements are crazy, and, like, Someone so- It sounded like someone put Pandora on And just put the 70s station throughout this whole movie Oh it's just the soundtrack Oh my god the soundtrack Oh my god talk about montage the movie Am I right high five.
0: Oh, high five
1: <laughs> There <laughs> you go No man this movie had way too many montages to Set to like 70s music And you're just like god stop with the montages Already
0: So it's like one montage after another Yeah it's
1: like or... montage we're gonna play Chicago Montage we're gonna play Norm Goodman Spirit in the Sky Those are good songs. They are. I mean, I'm not complaining, but I am complaining complaining. about it. Too many montages in this fucking film. Okay, and it's like they cut the song mid song. The mid mid song. Yeah. Okay. They cut the music mid mid song. What? So, uh, if it's so
0: stylized, how is the narrative being filmed here? You said it's a lot of uh, montages yeah but, so but, it's, but is it a straight when she's young to she's an adult or is it kind of like flashbacks and stuff like no, that it's
1: it's like flashback it's kind of like that documentary style where they have the characters inside the inside the the story like narrating like like looking at the camera like but yeah it's a lot of that and then they cut back to like at first it starts off as like like it starts off that and then it kind of goes to like tanya harding's childhood and how how she's abused Mm-hmm. by her mother well the thing is like uh, she came from I mean there's no better way of
0: saying it there's no political of saying that she came from a white trash uh, background yeah which I guess kind of uh, played through how she was treated mm-hmm. by, by the uh, pretentious ice skating uh, uh, associates uh, but I'm, I'm hearing not... performances are not just great from uh, Margot Robbie Margot, Ro- i fucking know people's names. <laughs> Marget, uh but also Margot. from Allison Janney, I'm hearing a lot of great stuff. Who played her mother? Yeah, she's a bitch. Is that, like she played. That's a-, a
1: good thing. That's a good. Okay, so uh, what uh, Allison? Yeah. Allie, as we call her, in the industry. she plays really good. Like hate, like mothers that are just despicable, uh-huh. and to the point where it's kind of like scary. Like that's like she's typecast as like that bitchy mother who doesn't like anyone, mm-hmm. and it's just like oh god damn. Did you,
0: I mean, when I was a kid, did you ever
1: love me or anything? You think Sonia Henny's mother loved her? Poor fucking you. I didn't stay home making apple brown Betty's. No, I made you a champion. Knowing you'd hate me for it. That's the sacrifice a mother makes. I wish I'd had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice getcha shit. I didn't like my mother either. So what? I fucking gave you a gift. You cursed me. <sighs> You're a monster. Spilled milk, baby.
0: But is it a great performances across the board?
1: Yeah, yeah. Fucking A, dude. Like, everyone, it was the, the dude from... I think he was from, like... I don't know who the the husband plays. I forget his name. I know he's probably in like something. Yeah, he was. It wasn't he uh, the, uh, the. He Winter was in, Soldier. Yeah, he was in Winter Soldier. He was in uh, uh, Need for Speed, that classic movie everyone saw. Huh. And uh, I don't know what else he's in, but I see. I know he's in Need for Speed. Okay. Um and then I don't know who this guy is. I don't know who this guy who plays Sean in the movie, her bodyguard? Yeah, her bodyguard. But that guy was fucking fantastic. I wish he was in more of the movie. It's uh Paul Walter Hauser. Paul he's great. I loved him in this. Uh, he, and he's uh he mostly have done um comedies in the past, it looks like. I mean, he's great as like this arrogant like idiot who just thinks he's always right. oh it's a lot of fun. I had fun in this movie. Oh, cool. How's the cinematography? It was good. There was a lot of like sweeping shots too, a lot of like panning and shit. And it's just like, "Oh my god, like I get it. You figure skate eloquently, like, oh, swift camera movements." You know? But, you know, that's the style. How else are you going to This movie had its head up its ass a couple it, of times. It kind of did. Like, "Oh, it's going to she's going to look at the ground and the camera's going to pan to the ground and then he's going to she's going to look up and the camera's going to pan up." Is that a pan? Uh, a tilt? A tilt up, ooh, yeah. ooh, you yeah. know, and it's just like, oh, okay, come on, this is kind of annoying. I get it, but it's kind of annoying.
0: Oh, so you didn't like the direction? It seems like it was
1: fine. Like it for what? For 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 the style? You remember? Remember that thing I said it before? Style? Like it had a lot of it, and it, it went with the style. So I'm not gonna dock it points. Yeah, just because I didn't like the style for a bit. Well, it's interesting you mentioned
0: style and we're talking about direction because the director, Craig Gillespie,
1: he has a
0: variety of background. Like I, was, I was looking at his uh, the films he made and they're mostly co- comedy films. I mean, look at that hat. It uh, just screams out style. Uh, uh, but there's a couple of films that are not really comedy like Fright Night. He did the remake of Fright Night. Oh, yeah. He did The, uh, the Finest Hours which I saw. I don't um, know what that one is. Uh, It's about like a rescue mission, which is also based on a a real life event.
1: Well, this movie had a lot of like drama mixed in with comedy because it was kind of, it was funny at times. This is actually a little bit more, I feel like this, he has, he has a little bit more elegance in the comedy of this, this film. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's very kind of like, I mean, they're very much characters, like they very much portray them as characters rather than real people. Okay. But like, it's, you know, it's, it's in, it's in style. Let's break it down. We'll break it down. Yeah. What are the pros? Uh, pros great acting uh, like wonderful performances across the board the only I don't know I guess the little girl playing uh, Margaret Robbie or uh, I, Tanya, mm-hmm. was was uh, I don't know I didn't care for her much you know she was crying in some scenes and I was like eh, well, you know a little girl crying whatever you know I live in San Jose whatever we, we see those all the time we right s- here just you know on second
0: on second know, street on
1: second <laughs> you there's know, a little girl crying somewhere downtown everywhere so I didn't care much for that, but like yeah. everyone's just a fun character, which is which I liked it too, because this wasn't supposed to be serious. Like you, like A and E or or like the really, Hallmark
0: it's a, Channel. Really, it's being nominated left from right. It's not. And you said it's not made to be
1: taken seriously. No, 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 it's not. How do I say this? They're they're definitely amplified characters. They 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 took the, they found a way to mix mix between like real emotions and like, like they cranked up the 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 arrogance a little bit in it so where it's a little bit cartoony but like it's it's very so it's exaggerated yeah it's exaggerated okay to say the least but then because like all the other film like if hallmark fucking lifetime channel they all did a tanya tanya harding story yeah we've seen it before we need something Uh, fresh and new uh with style Uh and that's what this movie was
0: all right should we go to the cons
1: uh, yes. Alright, what are the cons? Fucking, I hate CGI in this. It's kind of bullshit. I don't know what it is about the CGI. They did CGI on they this They did one? CGI. Well, I'm guessing because it looked fucking weird whenever Margot Robbie was, like, spinning around doing twists and shit. You know what I mean? It looks, it just looks weird and you're like, I think this is CGI. Like, I played video games and you're like, that's CGI. Hmm. Or, uh, video game CGI. Has that Uncanny Valley kind of look yeah, to it? Yeah, I was just like, this doesn't look right. Because even, like, like... I don't know, like their movements were just like too smooth and, and, and jello-y. Now let me ask you this. Have you seen figure skating before? Yes. Okay, so They fi- showed a clip of figure skating after on as the credits roll. All right, and I, I was like, that looks human. That looks uh, like Okay. It looks like <laughs> it, looks human. it looks elegant, human like. Okay. Not computer bullshit spinning around. Everyone's okay. flipping their shit. Okay. Go watch that other episode we recorded. Alright. Um <laughs> Uh yeah, so CJ that was kinda weird. Mm-hmm. Alright. Alright, what's your rating of the film? Uh go see it. It's good. Yeah? It's good. It's got style. It's got style you you, style. you highly recommend it? Yeah, I do recommend it. You know what I mean? It definitely a bigger screen. I mean don't watch it with other people though. That's my that's kind of my Don't watch it with other people? Don't fuck other people, man. Just get a theater by yourself. Okay, why? Okay. Let me tell you about my theater experiences. What happened? This we need a stinger for this and be like Jacob's theater corner. Anyways, okay. motherfuckers were sick in that movie theater. What, there was uh, a lot of coughing dude it, I was sick during the holidays so I don't it's going be, around If you're gonna die go die in another movie that I'm not watching okay so there's I'll this keep like,
0: that in mind there's this
1: like lady in the front seat just fucking coughing out a lung I was like fucking go die somewhere else and then like she would cough and then it's like a chain reaction of people coughing all over the theater I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna get sick I don't even know why I'm recording right now because I'm probably gonna get you sick because of this fucking lady in the front seat. There was only one exit, all right. There's one exit in the theater. What movie theater did you go see? Uh, in uh, Saratoga AMC. AMC, okay. There's one theater because it was a small, o- older movie, smaller theater. Okay. And like she was sitting right there at that seat, right, like right as you like passed the hallway, and there's like those two seats in the front. She was sitting right there, so everyone who had to pass her had to waft in her her sickness. Mm. I don't need that shit. You know what you should do? You should, go, you should have
0: gone to the ticket booth to the guy that asked you for ID. You'd be like, listen here. Listen here. Hey, sh- shut the fuck up, all right? Shut the fuck Here. Hear me out. You, I am the best film critic of San Jose. How dare you How put dare me you? in a theater where the public is at?
1: Yeah.
0: Here. hit Sniper finger. Put me in a theater to watch a movie just for one. Just exactly. for me because I am the best Film critic of San Jose. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? No, no. Shh, shh, sh- sh- Just, just do your little computer thing, and put me in another theater all by myself.
1: See, that's what you should. That's done. what I should have done. I'm like, here's your autograph. You're welcome. And then hand it to him. Not even hand it. Throw it in his face. Cause I'm fucking famous. Or hey, give me the stats to this. I can prove anyone that I'm famous. All right, man. Uh, well, I guess that's it. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Uh, you're welcome.
0: Do you agree or do you disagree with the review of Jacob Wheels of iTanya? Please let me know at at jmspodcastgmail.com. I am still looking forward to seeing that movie. I might go see it this weekend. Now, uh, a correction uh, in the review, uh, Jacob Wheels mentions that the actor portraying Tanya Harding's husband, who is Sebastian Stan, was in the film Need for Speed. Uh, that's actually false. That actor was never in the film. Need for speed. I think uh, Jacob Wheels confused Sebastian Stan with Aaron Paul. But that's what makes him a great film critic. Because he does not go uh, for the recognition of the actors. He, he goes for the love of filmmaking. Alright, let's move on. It's, uh, it's interesting that, uh, it, that Jacob Wheels complains about people coughing. Unfortunately, when I was uh, interviewing um, our main guest, who is Mean Dave, I was still recovering from a cold, and my dumbass forgot to get some cough drops. So I am uh, coughing throughout this interview. I would like to apologize for the listeners. Hopefully, it's not too bad. And, um, And yeah, I had Mean Dave over. Mean Dave is a great guy, believe it or not, regardless of that title on his name, Mean Dave. Uh, but then again, once you get on his bad side, he can get pretty mean. But uh great guy to chat with, you know. It's funny because uh, the few times I've met Mean Dave in person, I, I haven't really had, you know. I believe once we sat down and we chatted and, and we had a good discussion. But uh, I was great to have him here and one on one and do whole interview with him for one hour, and I was really impressed in how well-versed he is with the music scene here in San Jose, although right now he's known as in the comedy circuits, but uh, it, was, it was great to hear from his side and how the uh, musical landscape was around here back in the day, which it wasn't that long really, just in the 2000s, um, and, and yeah, I had a great chat with me and Dave, so let's go straight to that interview, here we go. came through, and we're already, we're already here. What do you mean, how many,
2: like, a uh, couple minutes of... Well, you know, like, you how
0: are you doing, how was your week, and holidays, and Oh, all yeah, that I cut the shit, I guess, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you just <laughs> cut... You <laughs> I don't know when the last
2: time I saw you was. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Much down right into the house, and right into the studio, and we uh, yeah,
2: uh, I don't got time to waste there, Jorge. <laughs> You're no, a busy man. Not, yeah. I appreciate
0: you coming, man. Not at all. No, I'm glad
2: it worked out, because I... I it really was kind of a quirk of fate of, uh, I just, I'm, I appreciate you hit me up to do this, and then I was like, ah, shit, I'm never, in, I'm rarely in San Jose, because public transportation's difficult uh-huh. down here, uh, there's mostly open mics, not a lot of showcases down here, because I, I tend to do more showcases, and, uh, nothing wrong with open mics, it's just, right. uh, but I go on, when I go on mic runs, you know, we'll go hit the open mics down here, and, uh, but it's Saturday, I was like, ah, okay, I'll find a way. I'll find a way or I'll hit the bus, do whatever. And then when when uh, I realized I was hosting at Roosters, I've got a new girl in my life and I'm staying with her this weekend while I'm doing Roosters. And then I remember you told me your place was in North San Jose and I'm like, give me the address. And when I looked it up, I'm like, all right, this is meant to be this weekend. So if you, you, you can't do it this Saturday, I'm just, then the, my higher power is telling me no.
0: Well, so. <laughs> <that's> a- <laughs> uh, I'm glad we, we we worked it out this weekend. Uh, totally, no, uh, good. Which is which is remarkable because yeah. uh, a lot of people, even people who lived in San Jose all their lives, mm-hmm. have never really been to this part of town. No okay. shit. Yeah. No. Uh, it's, yeah.
2: There's. Uh, I can cuss. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. make sure in what, case whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> but uh, but no, that's when when my, when I started dating my lady, we would. Uh, she uh, told me she lived in San Jose, and then but she got home from where I live in Newark uh and she got home in like 15 minutes I'm like how is that fucking, how is that possible you live in San Jose like San Jose's miles you know it's like even just driving from one side of San Jose to another is 20 minutes and uh and then when I found out where she lives she lives like uh, yeah on First Street off of Zanker and and uh, over there and I'm like oh okay you live like in probably the most convenient part of San Jose because you can get out quick to get to where <laughs> you need to go you're near the major freeways
0: the, and, the faster uh, you get out of San Jose the better in a way I mean I, I
2: I used to I used I still do shit on San Jose to some extent but I like San Jose more today than I did when I was growing up
0: so. Why, what was the landscape back then uh, I mean it's just
2: more uh I found that, because uh, a lot of people that I grew up with, they they moved to San Jose as opposed to, like, San Francisco or Oakland, and I always, I hung out in, like, the music scenes that were in San Jose, or San Francisco and Oakland more, and San Jose, they had a music scene, but they, they would just seem like they were above it, like they were above whatever, like, we're better, and, I, and I'm like, no, you're not. That's
0: still kind of going on.
2: In a way, no, it is. It's it,
0: not just music. It, it is. a variety but of But you know what, this is what's strange. Strange.
2: this is what's funny about San Jose, is yeah. that, that at that time... I used to, I used to say, people who couldn't hack it in San Francisco and and Oakland, that's what they, you know, they moved to San Jose. Well, now what I've discovered is more San Jose is filled with people who know, who didn't really leave San Jose if they grew up here. Sometimes, but um, but now, oddly enough, I find their attitude more refreshing and welcoming than the attitudes in Oakland and San Francisco with all the money that's poured in there oh. and uh, and that's a lot an of the interesting observation. Tenants. So that no, so now it's like I don't mind San Jose, but I keep that to myself. Like right. San Jose still loves to shit on itself. And uh, if you know more so if you're from here, but like like if somebody like me starts shitting on, they're like, hey man, you know I don't, I don't really like what you're saying, you know. But well, I, like, so. I get
0: annoyed, like I'm from here, and mm-hmm. I get annoyed, you know, hearing this rhetoric of like, oh, you know, we could do better than SF, we could do better than Oakland. It's like who gives a shit? You just
2: I, who San gives a shit? San Jose has been itself. <laughs> uh, that that's what I, I give San Jose. It's been itself, yeah, consistently from back then until now that's why I like and my favorite place and was then was when I first got introduced to it and still is now even more so now that it embraces comedy is The Caravan because mm. like out of all the clubs because I used to go, go down here to go to the shows at The Cactus Club right and I knew the the owner
0: oh they used to call it The Practice Club oh god it Johnny Manic told me that oh you know Johnny yeah, yeah that's right you know
2: Johnny Manic and uh <laughs> And yeah, because when, uh, around the time that I met Manic and all them, uh, I was playing it with common musicians and we, uh, we, we had a band called Tonopah that played at Cactus Club on a Wednesday. And it was so weird because I met Calvin, the owner at, when I was working graveyard shift at Kinko's in Fremont, he was coming in to make copies and I saw, oh, Cactus Club. Yeah. I go to shows there and where he goes, oh, you do whatever. Like he actually was nicest I've ever seen that guy ever since I've heard of him, uh, that night and then when we booked the show with him we did the show he was a he was just a dick to us <laughs> and that's like his, how he is to everybody I hear oh, and
0: uh, I don't know him now. or just specifically just the musicians
2: I kind of to music yeah to people in general too which I, I can't blame him I, I, know, well, I looked, well I looked at, well, I looked well, at it like, when
0: you run a club and you're dealing with musicians and the drama all like, the time but if you don't
2: like owning a club don't own a club uh, that's that's that's, <laughs> that was my eyes. I'm like hey right. if this is bothering you yeah. get somebody else. sell the fucking yeah. place you know and um But then, uh, because like Blank Club even had a better attitude than that. But um, so I've been I've been familiar. I've got I like the Ritz. I've seen some shows. That was actually where I really gave uh, gave San Jose more. I'm a huge fan of the Melvins. I mean, I don't know if I got a Melvin shirt on now. I got like a million Melvin shirts. But um, uh, and I've seen the Melvins over and over since I was 15. And uh, and I've I've, I rarely would come see them in San Jose because again I prefer to see them in like San Francisco. I don't think they've really played Oakland, but um, but I usually would go see them out there, but uh, or even in Santa Cruz. But they started playing at the Ritz out here, and out of all the clubs that I've seen throughout the years, I really like the Ritz. And uh, and I saw them recently. I saw all three shows they played this last summer yeah. uh, throughout the Bay Area, and uh, and the Ritz was my favorite because, oddly enough, uh, that above it all attitude really paid off in San Jose, where they were the one club. Where you know, there's a lot of people. The age range of the Melvins is like there's some teenagers, but it's mo- mostly like people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and even 50s now, and, and sometimes older. There's like an older crowd
0: people who grew up with the band.
2: Yeah, and uh, and some new newer younger people that are discovering them, and they're still relevant today to to audiences everywhere. They're always that's what I love about them. And um, but they uh, there's people there drinking beers and all that. They were enjoying the music but not once did any part of the club feel the need to start a pit and that's when I love uh, because I'm like I love shows where people were getting into it too but they didn't need to like it's like we're in our you guys most the average age there is in their 30s Mm -hmm. you don't need to be Doing pits in your thirties—that's that's some teen and twenty something shit.
0: I figure that's what people look forward to. Ah, not or the mosh pits?
2: No, I I don't mind them, but I'm like, but also it's like one of those things where like if if the vast majority of the audience is like just music loving people who like their beer too, and I don't even yeah. drink anymore, but I respect you know the the I mean that's how I was before. Um, so when I see people enjoying themselves and getting into something without the need of like it feels forced there's yeah, times yeah. where it feels yeah. forced and there's those there's those jerks that are just like yeah man they got, they, there's like it starts with like two guys and everybody's like <laughs> you're just pissing everybody off right now yeah. and you're spilling beers yeah. and uh, so yeah that's why I was like I, I, I out of all the shows The Ritz yeah. was my favorite uh because of the audience more so the band was great they always I love their show and i i really enjoyed the cactus or the catalyst too they played the catalyst too but um but yeah they had to start a pit there mm-hmm. and there were some people that were like trying to make it more aggressive than it needed to be and i'm like relax man like nobody's Nobody's like you can enjoy the music and not feel the need to put your hands and slam your body into other people yeah. like an idiot. But uh, but, but I,
0: I, I was thought in that genre of music that was a selling point for the fans. Was that no, that's for kids.
2: I look at it. Kids <laughs> are for kids. I mean, really, it's just like tricks. Like I yeah. when I was when I played in. Uh, it's funny because I didn't start playing in punk bands until my twenties. Not because, uh, I was more into thrash metal and, and a lot of, uh, experimental stuff when I was, when I was a kid. I always felt like an old man since I was a kid, but,
0: uh... age did you start playing uh, music, like...
2: Playing it, um, well, I started probably messing around with the guitar since I was 12, oh, but I huh. uh, didn't formally learn it until I was
0: 15. 14 or 15 and that's, that's when it, into bands and stuff like that yeah I was
2: always into music I just didn't think I would be ever be good enough to adapt to play in a band I just figured like it was a pipe dream of mine um, what, I, it,
0: what instrument was it was I started it?
2: with guitar. guitar I started with guitar and then uh, I learned the bass you can adapt from the guitar like you know if, there's four, if you want to learn to play the bass as a bass which I have a huge amount of respect for. That's that's the way to do it. But I would just play bass to fill in because nobody wanted to play bass, you know. Like, so I'd play it a lot like a guitar. Um, and then I learned to play drums on my own later. But um, well, actually, I, well, throughout the years, I could I trained myself. I'd jump on drummers' drum kits. They get pissed off at me because I could play <laughs> I could play beats faster than they could and stuff just oh, on my own. But um, but yeah, it was just it was just. But guitar was where I formally learned uh, like uh, technique and. It got it, got it. up to the modes, and then uh-huh. I lost interest in all of the, the, the theory.
0: Did you start at acoustic, or you went straight to electric? Uh,
2: I, I played on acoustic, but it was an electric that I learned mostly. I learned on a very difficult electric, too. The uh, I got I had a uh, Fender Squire Strat that my uncle's cousin was getting rid of because he had it custom-made. His girlfriend made it for him for like her, his birthday, mm-hmm. and then they broke up. Oh, geez. And uh, so he wanted to get rid of it. And it, the thing was, is I didn't care what guitar I got. Uh, because, you know, I I, I, would have, I wanted to save my money for it. But, you know, it's like they're expensive. And I'm like 12 years old. And I was like, I just I, even if it's a toy guitar from Toys R Us, I'll learn on it. That's how I was figuring. And my mom, she really, uh, I mean, this is when my mom didn't, you know, make much money. My stepdad, they, they were working, you know, uh, uh, jobs that weren't paying too well when I was a kid. But, uh, but what was so cool was... She, she thoroughly convinced me no guitar like you're not getting a guitar like it was around Christmas I'm like well you know pretty much the only thing I want for Christmas would be a guitar but I know it's expensive and all that but if we could find a cheap one like the cheapest one I think your uh, sound went out oh yeah uh, uh, I, I said if you could find the cheapest one possible I'll learn on it I don't care I'll learn on it and uh, she found one better. she got a great deal on it uh, 200 bucks for this guitar that was probably worth about 500 maybe more and, um, but the only, the only catch was it was, it was a blues guitar and it was like, it was hot pink and it, and it, and it wasn't like, you know, so I'm into thrash metal and all that yeah. stuff. So now I got a hot pink <laughs> Floyd Rose tremolo blues guitar strat, uh, strat. So it's got like the weird, the round head on it. So it's not yeah. even like a metal guitar. Right. I didn't give a shit. I was like, I, and not only that, it was he it was like a fucking, it was a brick. You were ready to and rock it, huh? It was, well, I was like, I'll just cover it in stickers. That's all I, I was like, I'll cover it in stickers. Um, but it was heavy, the action on it was super high, mm. and I didn't know that at the time, so I learned on that guitar, and so then when I would jump on other guitars that were made for more metal noodling and all that, it was like a breeze, and um, so it was good, I, I figured like, it was good, it was like learning on an acoustic, because acoustics also kind of, some acoustics are difficult to, um, to press the strings. Did
0: that. you grow up in a musical family? Like, would no. they play music, nobody?
2: No, I mean, not, not anymore, so it, music wasn't this is what's kind of funny was that I was the one who got way into music more so my dad had a had a instinct and a and a gift for drums but he he was more uh, he my dad's big on uh, on People, what people think, and he, uh, you know, kind of his business now. He's in it. He's an insurance, owns his own insurance company. He's big on status and all that. So when he was growing up, he really wanted to uh, impress people more. He he tried. He went the route of sports, even though he was actually a pretty gifted drummer. (coughs) And um, my mom told me about this. And like he had the music teacher offered to even buy him a drum set because he was from you know pretty poor family, and uh, and he turned it down. Was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go that route. And um, I was curious about that because he, he still, to this day, has a he has a, he he's always kept it more to himself. But he's yeah. had an ear for music, uh, stuff that he gets really into, um, and he also likes some really hilarious, crappy pop music. But uh, <laughs> I think it's funny. He he took me to see Britney Spears in uh, oh, in Las Vegas recently, which was so funny. Uh, um, but yeah, the the uh, but yeah. So I was like the only one who was really into music and didn't necessarily exhibit like an outright gift. For it, but I taught myself, and, and a lot of the bands I liked were experimental, and, and I was like, when I could mimic their sounds, I could play thrash, but thrash was like, I like listening to it more than playing it. I didn't like solos, and I didn't like stuff that was too hard to play. Because oh. I'm like, why would you like? So when I played Metallica songs. I'm like, who would want? Who finds this fun? This seems like a lot of work. Like you can just play something. And then I would listen to bands like I got into a band called Fudge Tunnel, which was really, uh, which was uh, like a band from England mm. that was uh, evolved out of like the whole Earache label out there. And I could play their songs easily. And uh, and then and it's, of course when Nirvana blew up, their songs, you, you know, you could teach a five year old to play those songs. And uh, but they were effective. And yeah. and I liked other bands like that that also were like more noise. Uh, oriented like Godflesh and some other bands and this is when i was young so i'm like getting introduced to this stuff in junior high so i'm like okay there's a bar like uh guar songs also i was way into guar's hello and um and oddly enough i didn't find punk rock like i didn't i mean the misfits were cool but like i didn't i didn't get into a lot of that stuff until way later so then when i played in punk rock bands in my 20s that's when I started seeing all these kids. More. I never went to Gilman and Berkeley until I was in my twenties, mm. and uh, and then when I was playing in this in this hardcore band, Funeral Shock, that was when I got introduced to a lot of a lot of uh, more of the younger scene that was brewing at that time. And I would see what what uh, and it was inspiring too, like to see kids that were teenagers um, have behave oddly enough with all of the punk rhetoric of you know getting wasted and all that stuff. They act they're they're pretty adult in terms of keep putting a scene together doing it they make mistakes or you know whatever they forgive each other and they would have pits that were like the only pits that i kind of approved of as far as because at the time too like i remember when i was going to shows and mosh pits started making the mainstream on the news because people get hurt and people were getting introduced to them now and you'd start seeing a different, like start seeing jocks going to to shows they had no business because Bread Hot Chili Peppers were blowing up. Uh, You know, Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Faith No More and all those bands were blowing up. So now you're starting to see the mainstream moron go to a show and like, yeah, I want to get in these pits. And like, they're going in there practicing football routines and shit. And, uh, and I'm like, this ain't for you. Like I, I got introduced to pits through thrash guys and those were dangerous pits too. Those were guys that were in their twenties and thirties that were like looking to hurt you. If you were a kid, they wanted to hurt you. And, uh, and you kind of got that sense and you're like, I'm scared. <laughs> like and I would and I went into a few pits and I got knocked around quite a bit. There was but I was like looking at it back on I'm like there was rarely a time when I went in a pit that I really enjoyed myself. <laughs> and I'm like, "Ah, it's it's uh there were times where it was fun and then uh and then you know, there were times I got hurt and, and it was fine, but um but yeah, and I but I just never you know, it's like yeah, I don't go to Slayer shows and go into pits cuz I know there's some white power motherfuckers in the in mm-hmm. those pits. I'm not going to go in there. I'm, I'm not an idiot. And, um, and then when the Melvins came along, they played slow, they played fast music, but they also played slow music, and that's when I got introduced to some of what eventually evolved into like a sludge, what they call, like kind of the sludge, uh, some called stoner rock or whatever, all these type of stuff, but sludge was like a term that was kind of coined with it, and um, yeah, and slower bands interested me, because then I'm like, ah, try pitting to this shit when, it's, when it sounds like a record, you know, played a speed too slow, hmm. so uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was that was all that.
0: but that's always the fun part of playing music is finding out different avenues and oh, how yeah. to play things yeah slower, faster, different mm-hmm. tempo, yeah, different genre, yeah,
2: that's always fun. Well then also when you discovered Black Sabbath too, like that was the other thing too is I've, I've heard Black Sabbath since I was a kid, but I didn't really hear Black Sabbath until uh, I was in high school and got introduced to it more through bands that I liked that then they're playing covers of Sabbath I'm like okay let's check out because I've heard them but I never heard them and then now I'm like listening to whole albums and like oh no wonder these guys are they hold up and uh, and they're just playing like a, a more distorted heavy version of uh, the blues mm-hmm. so yeah
0: uh, not you were so determined as a kid to get involved in music, like mm-hmm. like
1: super Not determined.
0: Even, it, I wouldn't say get involved. I was determined to pl- to play
2: and record music once I got a sense that like when I first borrowed my friend's four track and I was I had it by myself, yeah, alone in the garage. I had a bass with me. I had, I had a guitar and I had a, a keyboard that I could mimic drums on. And that's when I was like, and I learned how to put together like so. I'm like. I could make something Like just tonight And they, yeah. and I just spent I remember I spent one night All night it was, I think it was probably a Sophomore Sophomore Yeah it was a sophomore And uh, I just spent all night In my garage Because everybody came over To record something In some make believe band We were doing And uh, I think I even My first band was kind of, Was a joke band Called Snot Locker but uh, Slut locker. Yeah. but I even wrote songs in that band that I cared about and I and so when they left all this stuff in my at my parents' house in the garage, I spent all night on a Friday night uh just in that garage recording every just throwing up whatever I mm. could do and make trying to do my best to mimic the things that I thought were cool at the time like um, so like Ministry was one of the bands. I, I look at it like it was like a, like a little kid imitating Ministry or something like that. So I distorted vocals. I, I did, I, even before that actually, I even did something before, that's right. I even did something before that where I had two boom boxes and I would record one track on a boom. It was the same concept as a four track and I know there's other people that have done this, but what I would do is I would record one, like the like the, the drum track first on one boom box, then play that boom box while recording another track on, on the next boom box and then kind of and bouncing these tracks back and forth in the end it just sounded awful but it was <laughs> That's but, a lot of work but man. it's the concept it's the same concept though yeah, yeah. As, as a four track and you're just bouncing tracks and uh, so when I got a four track I was able to easily embrace the concept of recording and just uh, and then and just the simple TASCAM... You know the, the the old school one that was like that big with a cassette, and I just recorded the fuck out of that thing, and uh, yeah, and I threw up like forty five, maybe ninety minutes of music that night, and uh, you know so a lot of the songs sounded the same or whatever. But when I went back and listened to it, I even played it for my mom and whatever. They were she, my mom was the one who was most impressed, and I'm like, I know I'm not I'm not getting to where I want, but it sounds it's like it's on the way of where I want to what I'm trying to figure. So it was really more of just this little like. Let me see if I can do it. It was more of that rather than like I want to be involved in the scene or and all that. That was actually my probably my biggest weakness as far as um, pursuing anything music and you know anything that I pursue and stuff is like I like doing it uh, to do it and I like to create an end result that I'm that I that entertains me and I want other people to be entertained by it. But the whole like desperation to be recognized, which is definitely a part of everything. I mean, you know any kid has an imagination yeah. you know you see what other people are doing like i want to be like that but but i also kind of could could uh um, because it's like i want attention when it when it's when it's appropriate but then the aftermath of that is is seeing how you know yeah not everybody you know there's then you're also inviting things that are outside of your control and how do you how do you deal with that how do you deal with people that might read way in you know to get the you know the people that, you know, you got Charlie Manson who read into Helter Skelter and shit, you know, there's people, that's an extreme case, but like, yeah, there's stuff that, you know, that you did not intend to be perceived and the next thing you know, because that's what art does, you know, inspires people uh, in good ways and bad, so.
0: Now, how was that transition... Uh, when you went from recording your own stuff mm. to actually playing it live, live in an audience—that
2: was that was—I uh, mean—that was kind of the point to me because I would go see live bands since I was twelve, and then uh, I already embarrassed the shit out of myself with this band Snotlocker trying to play live shows. What happened there? Oh well, we we my friend was the one who would set it up and it was because we even had a band before well they had a band that I joined and that was how I got involved in all this uh, monstrous Joker babies and that's where I got this nickname Trout Head which is I still even have the Trout Head oh Jesus look this is a that. necklace that I got for uh, that my, my mom had made when I graduated and because um, I used to wear a rubber fish around my neck for the Trout Head once because I I didn't start the name they called it called me it and then I didn't pay where did it. that come from it was just random my friend I think he read it in a book and he just he just said you're Trouthead because we all needed names to be in this band <laughs> they cared more about the bullshit than they did about the, the music <laughs> itself was awful and unlistenable but um, but it was the concept that I got into and I was like oh cool maybe we will make some cool tunes and we uh, we tried and then um, even before that we made a, a, jo- a quick joke band called MC Death and the Apocalyptic Crew I remember that had a song called The Yo Song and I actually put that in Snot Locker later on um, but yeah So there was uh, So when we did this band That band Played a show That was at, well, was supposed to play a show At a birthday party But the party Just ended up Kind of falling apart We just we, I think they played Like they tried to play one song And it just collapsed And we didn't give a shit And then And I was disappointed Because I was like We were going to play a show And um, I don't even think we had songs and, uh, and then when we actually wrote these songs for Snotlocker, my buddy, Daryl, who's like one of my best friends growing up, he was the one who was like, all right, I booked us a gig for whatever. I'm like, but a gig? What do you mean? Like, this is a stupid, like, it's one of these stupid bands we just do for our own amusement. Why do we, how are we going to play this live? I don't know. No, actually, I don't think I was that contrary. I think I actually embraced it, but we had a keyboard that was the, we would just play a pre-programmed beat without any changes on this keyboard uh-huh. and we would uh, so we we just played it through an amplifier uh-huh. played with our practice amps and that was that was us with vocals and, um, and we were just annoying and it was it was funny annoying music and you, you could just
0: see the faces of the crowd oh they were just like out. yeah
2: Like they would, they would at first they because they they knew I was into heavy music. Some of my friends and they were like, "Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing your band." And then we would watch everybody slowly clear out and like, "Oh, this is embarrassing," and like leave. Which looking back on it is actually a point of pride in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, You know, at the time it was very disheartening, but at the same time we stuck with it. We didn't we didn't cut our set short. We we kept going. (laughs) You just plowed through. Oh, we did both Uh, at lunchtime at our high school. We did that, and then we did. uh, I'm I'm, look. Back on. I'm very proud of it, Uh in the sense that it, it was a it was a strange sense of determination playing something that people had an expectation of, like oh this is going to be a band, and then it was a big joke.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And what was what pissed me off though more for me was that my buddy Daryl was really the the personality of of the group in my opinion. And then when he would play, he would sink into like like this like like withdrawn stage presence. I'm like, where the fuck is? Where did you go? Yeah, you're like the front you're, man. you're you're Daryl. You're the yeah. you do most of the vocals. So then I feel like I had to kind of bring a little more life to it, and I was kind of not didn't feel like that guy at the time. And
0: um, we have yeah, uh, some sort of presentation. We're doing it live. Yeah, like you know we have,
2: need to have some presence. But it was it was good just in the sense that later on when I did start playing in bands that did because uh, I did, the live bands I was in. That really became something a little bit uh, didn't come until after I graduated high school. I was still jamming with people. I played with one horrible cover band where they weren't like a horrible band. It was just the idea of being in a cover band. Uh, I just wasn't doing anything outside of my own. I actually played as a one-man band for a little while and that actually was better I saw a recording of one of them and I'm like I was watching the music I was playing and I'm like holy shit I'm playing shit I can't even play today Hmm. like technically wise and I'm looking like I'm doing taxes like I looked embarrassed that I was playing by myself and I'm like, wake up, motherfucker! You're cool. And like, why did you
0: decide to go with one a ma- one-man solo? It was just because I didn't have
2: a I didn't have a band. I didn't couldn't find a drummer that could get, that technically could. It's just out of out of necessity. I got a drum machine, so I was and I learned to program it, so I was able to play that. Uh, my buddy Daryl would occasionally play bass on some tracks that were easy to play, but um, but I just played it by myself. And when I saw it later, like this video at my friend's birthday party again, senior year. It was actually really cool, and I was like, I, I was looking like I didn't know what I had. I, if I really would have embraced it more, it probably would have. I mean, it impressed people alone on the musicianship, but if I really would have like, if I, but but again, it's like you're a kid, you know, and I'm am a kid. Even though some of these kids, it was just one of those things. Looking back on it, uh, you know, I was it was just it took me a little while to figure out how to how to rock properly in front of people, and then. It helps to have a band because when you're, uh, if you're by yourself, especially when you're an insecure kid, you don't know, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're scared. You're just scared. Yeah. And then when, uh, but when you have a band, you got some people that kind of like, you feel like, okay, we're together. Like we're We, we think this is cool together. Like I'm, you, we're vetting each other, even though we were still, you know, insecure dickheads, you know, and de- and on more drugs at the time. Um, It was still cool, and like we would we would have shows fall apart and stuff like that, but it would still like the sounds were better. And my first band that had a sound that I was I was very proud of was called Snowy Plover, and that was with some friends of mine who who I respected, who were who became good musicians. Uh, Well, namely one and um the other guy was a noisician but he was very he was very creative and a noisician yeah he he was what, is, what does that mean he was he he got he made music out of noise like he literally made noise that had a, a music and a rhythm and whatever wow. and we would we would invite him to like add noise a noise layer to, as a, almost like its own instrument to the music that that I, me and my drummer were making and um and it was really cool and uh i I still love I, that's the thing is I'm very proud of you know, even even the music I wasn't as proud of before uh, before that band, but Snowy Plover and and in retrospect, not Locker, but mainly Snowy Plover and all the bands afterwards is actual. We made music that I still go back to and will listen for my own enjoyment today, uh, because I like the music. I like what we made, and we made it we made it for ourselves, and hopefully whoever else liked it. And but um, but I had no delusions about playing and like all the bands that I liked were like working class bands they didn't you know hit it big or anything I saw that Nirvana hit it big because they made pop songs they were aiming for that and I'm like all oh, the music that I like is is weird it's not and maybe they don't make a living at it maybe they all hmm. who knows what they do
0: so the the dream wasn't necessarily to make it big with fame but to be a working musician to,
2: well not even to be a working it was just to make the music really that was the dream and then as I got older yeah the dream would be to like I don't know if it was so much the yeah, the dream would be to be a working musician, but I saw what it took to do it. And you really need. I, I even had like a. I, I had this kind of like um, surrogate uncle figure growing up who was a uh, owner of these corndog stands I worked at uh, when I worked at the fairgrounds growing up. And he saw that I took this huge interest in music and was, was playing in bands and stuff. And he asked me point blank, he goes, So what are you doing with all this music? He was a businessman and he used to work. Um, he used to. Uh, he was like a multimillionaire from uh real estate but before that he was he was rich then lost all his money and then became rich again he's one of these very resilient figures and um he used to book at the la forum back in the 60s he was the main booker so he dealt with all of the main acts at the time that we all look at as legends but he saw them as regular people so he saw business-wise how musicians you know behaved and so when he's looking at me, like, I've got this, you know, little, you know, in his mind, he looks at it like, oh, that's, that's the most, you know, time occupying hobby that I've seen everybody, anybody have. What do you plan on doing with this? Because if you're not going to make it, look, if your goal is not to make any money, if your goal isn't to make money with it, you're wasting your time. That was his attitude. And mm-hmm. looking back on it, I understand what he was saying. Um, I was, you know, I was just idealistic kid. I'm like, ah, oh, we make it for the music because we want to. And that look, looking back on it again, that was really all it was. And we, you know, you keep your fingers crossed, like maybe, yeah, maybe people will like it enough to where they'll, you know, they'll want to see it more of it or whatever. But I never. It was it. It served a few purposes. Playing music was. It got out a lot of my angst. And it put me and introduced me to various different subcultures in different scenes that I wasn't familiar with before. Um, only really, none of it really caught on to, like, there was only one band that was, Funeral Shock was the one band that I was a part of that um, kind of had, you know, got some notice, uh, but it was, and and this band Woozoar. Uh, which fed into Funeral Shock, but it was mainly because I got introduced to the DIY punk and metal scenes, mm. and uh, and those scenes the, Funeral Shock already had members that were established in bands, Capitalist Casualties, Spaz, which was well known, and uh, and this other band, guy from band uh, Agents of Satan and Dead Bodies Everywhere. So they had like people that were kind of like like it was a all stars band. I was the one guy nobody ever heard of so um,
0: were you the bass player
2: no oh, I was the no. drummer you were really the drummer and it was pl- also playing faster than because I only played like slow music or experimental music that was at a regular moderate tempo so when I heard what they were trying to do I could play drums but I was like I don't know if I could play that fast but I'll try out and see what happens and I tried jamming with one of the guys got the chop beat down and I'm like oh this ain't that hard and uh, yeah, and we wrote three songs in a day, and then we just went from there. And that band lasted about seven years, and we played some cool. That I got to do more with that band than I did in other bands. Um, but I also saw it's like you know we went on the road, one of my favorite two weeks experiences of my life. But you learn really fast that like you a band. It's just what my corn dog boss told me the variables of personalities like to to even have a band that can do something you don't realize how lucky you are when you can find people that that can cooperate enough to even just write a song make you know to make something original and then to take that and perform it live and then to take it to that next level of like okay now you performed it live now perform it again repeatedly i mean you know when you see what it Takes to be a comedian. It's like now multiply the difficulties of that by like a a certain number of people and then combine all of the outside influences of, you know, women, drugs, you know, just all of that shit. Mm. And then, God forbid, you ever do get any money at doing it. Now you're involved in the business end of it, which then is a whole other aspect of human nature that that gets really tricky. And um, so, yeah, so when I look at it, I'm like. It's exhausting. Just to, to think about it, yeah. But then, but I did it for long enough to where. I got a lot out of it, and I I got what I put into it. Maybe a little more so too. Um, and I would have loved to have stuck with it if uh, if I if I felt like I had this strange response later on when yeah I was starting to find a level of disappointment with my life, just feeling like uh, like there was potential unfulfilled, and it was on me. It was really not on anybody else. But, but that was, I was the
0: breaking point. Oh,
2: I was just me. I was just doing a lot of drugs and doing more drugs and playing music and uh, and working dead end jobs in uh, QA testing, testing video games. And I was just like, I'm living this stupid life. Yeah. It's just not. It's, I don't feel like it's going anywhere. I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I'm not good in relationships, so I don't have anything else outside of this. And I see everybody else, and I'm just lo- suffering from you know grass is greener syndrome, looking at everybody else, and like, why am I not feeling fulfilled in these? other areas and um but a lot of that had more to do with me and what later on as i learned in recovery is more of my character defects that i'm letting feed at me and i'm blaming other people and all that um because then it, uh, eventually when i created a band that had a comedy thread to it um and then i transitioned into stand-up comedy that's when i looked back at all of the music that i made and i was looking i'm like oh there's been a humor through everything that I've done and a lot of the songs that I wrote in bands that I joined were like jokes in in like on some level and I'm like I've been a comedian more longer than I I really admitted and that's when I look back on what my parents actually raised me as a kid I was introduced to stand-up comedy since I was a child and we loved it it was one of the few things we got together and watched as a family I have favorite comics since I was like in single digits mm. and uh and not just that I memorized specials and stuff and, um, but it wasn't, and I love to get laughs. I really love to make people laugh when it's genuine and honest and feels like I'm being myself. Um, but it was this long path of, like, kind of figuring that out to, this, to, to when I first started doing stand-up and realizing, oh, this is a whole other instrument, I suck at it. It's been a long time, it was because I did it, I started when I was 33, and I'm like, it's been a long time since I was a beginner at something, and I'm like, but I don't want to suck at this if I'm going to keep doing it, and so yeah, I question whether or not I should keep doing it, or maybe just stick with music, but I'm like, but I'm so unhappy doing music, and something about comedy, and like, feeling like, it gave me something to put my, focus my energy on, and try to prove myself to a bunch of people that I didn't think were very good, um, when I, it just in that, in that realm of, I'm like, I could do this, like, I'm seeing them do this. I could do this. <laughs> it's that same concept. But, yeah. like, but, but, and not to belittle anything. It was just more or less, like, just knowing me and my potential that I reach with music and realize that I have limitations there, I'm like, I could probably, I'm like, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to be some fucking gifted motherfucker at this. But I think my skill set lends itself more to this than than music. Because over time, there were a lot of people that suggested or even asked, like, they, they, were, they assumed that I was a stand-up comedian. Uh, based on when I would host uh, uh, music open mics or something like that and I was just a wise ass mm-hmm. and I'm like nah stand-up comedians are depressed motherfuckers. I'm enjoying my life you know that's how I saw it and and I respected the medium I would go see comedians live you know by myself or with friends um, but it, and there was a music to it I totally understood that but um, when I started doing it myself uh, it was it was not fun and I enjoy not having fun that was my biggest Strength in the first few years of, of doing stand up was that I actually had more fun bumming people out, uh, audience, mainly other comics, because I hated the, the, you know, I still do to this day sometimes, uh, the, this, that kind of like, uh, I don't I don't like, uh, I mean, I think I get illustrated with my own music aspirations was that I don't like that whole, you know, I'm, I'm following my dream. I yeah. hate that shit. Like, it's and annoying. Yeah, it's, well, it's just like, Fast. there's a reality to this shit. And, yeah. There's nothing wrong with following a dream, but really, a dream is a dream. Like, there's... And nobody's... You know, I, and uh, and it's hard not to... You know, I've, I've definitely come around with my recovery where I don't shit on every single thing I see on Facebook or something like that, where it's, like, people I know, and I'm like, I want to just, you know, take them down a peg or something yeah. like that. But it, it's not for me, because then people do the same thing to me, and I don't I don't like it. Um, or some people I do like it. Uh, it depends on who they are, but... Um, but yeah, and then there's some people where I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I wouldn't keep doing this if I were you. <laughs> uh, but But I, who am I to say? Because also there was a time when I was that guy. And, uh, and, and not to say like I'm... It's like, but no, I have met goals in comedy and comedy's done... I've been able to do with comedy that I wasn't able to... where I wasn't... Uh, didn't find an avenue of being able to do... Uh, mainly probably because of drugs and alcohol. You know, who knows if I could have found some kind of way to make a living with some level of musicianship. Mm -hmm. Uh, Involved, but um, and uh, and I still love music. I could still, if I had a band, if I still, I can get into it without, you know, I don't need drugs and alcohol in order to get into it, into that kind of, into that other other level of of, uh, mindset. It's very meditative. Did you
0: sober up before comedy or during comedy? During
2: comedy, it was comedy. I I, I actually credit comedy with getting me in recovery because I wanted to get better at stand-up. I just some
0: people were doing comedy's rock bottom,
2: you know. It, in a way, yeah, no, and it was it wasn't necessarily <coughs> rock bottom. It was actually a strategy to try and promote my band that was my favorite band that I that was my first band that was my own. Um, Bad Touch. That's where I had the name Mean Dave. My drummer was Crazy Eric, and uh, we were a duo. And there was a comedic thread to it, and it worked know, and, and uh but unfortunately the band grew kind of stagnant and then when i was like trying to inject some new life into it by doing stand up um, thinking that it would help and then i realized oh in order to do stand up well you got to really commit to it and do it as much as possible for, and you got to
0: be in the moment in the moment so, and you're well, drugged up
2: in the-, the moment wasn't that hard for me but in the moment comedically versus in the moment musically you can be a jackass high and loaded and get get laughs doing doing uh, music but if you can't do that in comedy I don't mm. think it's not the same like you have to be an established personality yeah. in order to get away with that and be genuinely there's very few yeah. people that I think can pull that off
0: I see that sometimes that first guy is like this guy's too high to perform and high or drunk but, but or, they're yeah. all confident they get up there yeah. they just die well because you're not connected. Like, you're, you're not connected. connecting, high, not connecting. Right.
2: And, I mean you can connect actually if you're high you can connect to an audience that's all high sure doesn't mean that they're going to laugh but that's and, and drunk is just a waste of time um, but that's what's weird, too, is, like...
0: some me what's a clutch, you know?
2: It's a, it can be. Um, I think the best people, you're not up there drunk or too high. Like, it's just, you know, there's some people... I smoked weed to where it's like it didn't affect me on stage. So weed, you wouldn't know if I was high on stage at all most of the time because um, I was so wired. Um, and uh, uh, alcohol, I, I was only on stage drunk a handful of times, and they were some were some memorable... Moments because I did some things that I would have never done sober, and uh, they were definitely. uh, There's some people. Their first introduction to me was some of these sets that I did where I was I was trying to prove how racism isn't funny on stage because I think some people use comedy to mask their own personal racism, and so I was like, "You want to see how misogyny Yeah, yeah, I was like, you want to you want to see how it's not funny?" And I just proceeded to make racist statements throughout my set on purpose, and uh, it was it was I. It's funny. You don't mind taking the bullet, do you? No, I didn't a lot when I had nothing more to lose and now I don't mind um, I mean i I, I uh, taken the bullet both in the figurative in the sense of like going first and, right. and but also like uh, if sometimes if something I actually this happened recently uh, we did the New Year's Eve Comedy Oakland Comedy Machine Tournament of Champions we had a weird crowd it was the 10pm show and um, part of me was like because I've pandered before to those crowds And nothing feels worse than when you do a set, when you just do your set, and you don't say what you're really thinking, and you lose. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, oh, man, I really wish I would have said what I thought. Not because I thought it would be funny, and that I would win, but that at least I would have expressed myself. So that's what I did on, and I got through the first round, because I actually wrote some jokes out of it in my head before I went out. And I was making fun of this crowd about who who pays money who who goes to a comedy show on New Year's Eve before right before the New Year and is like I don't want to just go to any comedy show I want to go to a comedy show with eight people where slowly throughout the course of the show seven of them lose faith and confidence in themselves as they're all eliminated and go home rethinking their shit before the start of the New Year and uh, that's the comedy show I want to go to watch to watch people get bummed out and uh, and that's and that got them laughing and uh, but they were a weird crowd because they they normally those crowds can be very energetic and very like they want everybody to win and all that. But they, and they did technically, but, um, but they were like, they did not laugh at two comics. One of them was kind of hit and missed. I I didn't blame him. But the other one, I'm like, really, you're not giving him anything. Like Mm. he, he hardcore bombed. And I'm like, this is new year's Eve. Like you guys, like I'm fucking shocked that you're not like, there isn't anything in this guy's act that's connecting. Mm. And he knew it too. And, um, I felt bad for him, but uh, but hey, you gotta learn, and uh and he's a tall white dude, so he ain't, gonna, he ain't gonna i'm like you're you're gonna be successful at whatever you do, buddy <laughs> like you can't you can't possibly fail, uh like you know, even if you fall, you're still five foot five, <coughs> you know, yeah, and um, got a lot going for you, yeah, and he uh but it was funny, uh, so I shit on him the first round with some jokes of mine got got through the first round, which actually I think somebody kind of got a little bit, uh, cause they do the applause meet or whatever. And I got moved on when I think, ah, maybe somebody else got kind of, uh, got kind of shafted. And then, um, and then the second round I shit on him again. I clearly didn't like, I was like, yeah, I'm not like, I didn't know I wouldn't move on. I got more laughs than one of the people that moved on, but it was cause the things I was saying were was like not pissing them off, but was definitely like, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to move on. And, um, but it was, uh, but yeah, and I said what I said, and I, my whole goal was just to get to the second round, really, because I lost in the first round like two years ago, and this was the tournament of champions. So, but, now,
0: when you first transitioned from music to comedy, uh, um, did your parents support that?
2: My parents really
0: didn't.
2: Uh, they, um, well, they they actually literally did not not uh, not because they chose to. I told them that I was gonna. St- I had to move back into my parents' house after. Uh, I, I lived out of their house for about eight years. And, uh, and that's when I was hitting, uh, hitting the skids with my drug abuse and in denial. And, um, and I got caught in a rock and hard place uh, with funds. I had a lot of money saved up and then I lived off it for a little while when I, was, uh, when I quit one job because of my principles. And, um, and then I uh, found myself really slacking off and not getting another job. And then, uh, and then I was like, I put myself in this position where I'm like, but there's other family stuff too. Like moving back in wasn't just for me. Like I was also paranoid of my stepdad because of other, other personal things. Look, thinking that I'm looking out for my mom and like some other stuff. And, uh, so I moved back in, you know, looking like, you know, things were not doing well. Um, and that's when I decided I'm like fuck it yeah I'll start doing comedy I already talked about doing it uh, when I was a year before I was working with a guy who just moved here recently actually back from Albuquerque this guy named William Bolt and we used to work at Sega testing video games and he was a very he's a very funny guy a very funny guy to just like chit chat with and stuff and he had a presence where and I'm, I was you know again stand up comedy is a huge influence of mine um just as an art, I would say as an art, I mean, art form, whatever, but like it, in, it informed me as a musician, as whatever, as just, you know, a person. And we talked a lot about stand-up comedy and just his sense of humor. I, I just suggest him like, have you ever thought about doing it? And, uh, and he was like, you know, actually I kind of have. And that's when we talked about the brainwash. And, uh, so he, we kept talking about going down there for that open mic on the Thursday together but uh, but I kept blowing it off because I'm a drug addict and I wanted to go home and do coke. And uh, and he, uh, he ended up following through on it in 2009. And then I didn't follow through on it until, yeah, I hit the skids and had to move back to my folks' house. And in April of 2010 was when I did my first set and I was drunk. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then I have vague memories of it. The set went all right. But first night I went up two other guys who I'm still friends with today went up uh Phil Woods and uh Bryant Hicks and we all still do comedy today and they're very talented guys in the local scene and um and it's cool like we uh there were other people too I saw around um some went on to do you know stuff some quit or we just don't see them anymore um but yeah so the the my folks were like they, I had to, you know, I was really dicking around trying to get it. I knew what it, what I had to do to. I was just trying to get out of the house again, and I couldn't. I didn't want to do QA work. It was, it was killing me. I, I was sick of testing video games and working in that field because uh, I'd done it for like, at that point, like twelve years, and uh, there were two more years that I did it, and then um, I was just reaching a real end of my ropes type thing. And the only thing that was really, I was finding some. Solace in was doing stand up when it went well, even and even when it didn't go well and um and going to mics and meeting this whole other community and stuff. And then I started seeing a lot of the things that probably was like paralleling what was dissatisfying me in music was that I was making friends with people through my drug addictions rather than earning respect through funny which is what the, if you want to do stand-up comedies and I the thing kind of is the same in music you want to you, you know you can't the thing about the DIY music scene you can't just schmooze your way into it you have to you have to be genuine and you mm-hmm. have to really come from a place of where uh, what you're expressing is you and, yeah. uh, and there are people that you know, you, you kinda got a got a bearing for all that. So then when I got into stand up, the thing that's completely different than the DIY scene is that everybody wants to make it. Everybody is unashamedly, you know, like just just wanting to whore themselves for anything to get attention. Yeah. And it is not the underlying the underlying aspects of DIY punk and all that, yeah, you want people to notice you, but you wanna know you wanna be noticed for being genuine. More like it's it matters more to you that you're authentic yeah. than you are noticed. Yeah. Whereas in comedy, polar opposite, where it's more the virtue is being noticed, being famous, being all of this horseshit, as opposed to being genuine. That's that's still an aspect that comedians and you know the comedy community likes to think that they. But there's one thing I've confirmed through all of my research and performance. All of comedy is a hack on some level. Either it's a hack or it's a response to hack, which yeah. is hack in and of itself. Well, just like in music, all chords have been used. They, in t- to many respects, and um, and and being original really just means sticking to your, you know, finding it's finding who you are, and and being yourself, uh, you know, authentically, as in the moment as possible. Like, but comedy is a different. It's a different medium and. It took me a while to really fully, in a way, uh, and I say my transition to music, I use this parallel because I, I, even though it's like I'm not the biggest fan of this movie, but it really is uh, the the same path. I transitioned from comedy, from music into comedy, the same way Happy Gilmore transitioned uh, from hockey into being a golfer. It was a reluctant transition, like, uh, you know, as a hockey player... You know, he was, he, you know, he had a strong slap shot, but he was shitty on the ice and he was, you know, all of his, he was all of his aggression, it was taken away from it. And he didn't, he had other weak points of his game and he wasn't, you know, so nobody would want to pick him. Um, but then through finding out that, you know, you put him on, on the golf course, he had this amazing drive. Unfortunately, the rest of his game, he had to, you know, he actually had to 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 want to do it in order to do it but it took a while for him to even want to do it well the same thing with comedy where once i saw that's like oh i could do this but i don't know if i really want to and i don't know only that but like i felt like him when he was around other golfers like man if i saw clothes myself wearing those clothes i'd have to kick my own ass and then, um, and I'm looking at other comedians like I don't want to uh, fit in with these fucking desperate fucks. <laughs> but then deep down, I realized no, I have more in common with these people than I want to admit. Yeah. And and because I did feel slightly different from the com- from the music scene, and I, and I was a a guy cracking wise and and uh, not trying to be be jokey jokey, but just like very uh, sarcastic and. You know, and sometimes my my smart ass would get me in in a bit of trouble. People would get mad; they want to pick a fight with me because I'd get laughs at their expense or something like that. And I was known for being brutally honest uh, when it was humorous, and uh, and that's where Mean Dave, even though I coined the name as a character for the band, um, I knew it would work because I've been told before that I was being mean when I was just being honest and upfront, mm-hmm. and that was all based on an acid trip I had a long time ago where I discovered I'm like. I'm a real bit of a sociopath, just from my, my childhood, you know, just my uh, survival skills of, like, telling people what they want to hear just to get them off my back, Yeah, and uh, and then realizing that, oh, no, honesty is the best policy, to a fault in what I took from that, because then it was like, I'll be honest even when it hurts, and or when it's, if it gets me in trouble or whatever, because at least you tear the Band-Aid off faster, and then I realized, no, that's not always the best route, and that took a long time to figure out, but... um and then, yeah. So it's it's it, you know it's it's really been incredible that comedy introduced me to a core part of my being, which is that I do enjoy, I enjoy making people laugh by being myself. If it's possible, I do want to. That's one of my my uh, uh, one of the, it's one of the things that kind of it's one of my spiritual principles that I feel helps me connect to other people. Is yeah. that I I do deep down not I don't like to alienate but I will find joy in alienating uh, if I feel it's it's justifiable or whatever if it just feels right right um, and if I'm being myself if I'm feeling genuine um, that's still been a, a strange course since being sober um, but uh, but but definitely you know seeing that what once you know was something that expanded my imagination like George Carlin said became an inhibitor and uh, in using drugs and uh, and then. Definitely in comedy because I was every time I would I would try to quit on my own I could not I couldn't last longer than three weeks that's what my mom noticed Um, and and they were supportive they were supportive they can't you know I I would invite them to shows I I performed all my bands too in front of my most of my parents I have four parents because they divorced and remarried but um, do you have any siblings Yeah, I've got one biological sister and two stepsisters. I'm still fairly close to, and uh, one stepsister and stepbrother that are estranged. Like, we don't really see them.
0: Did they also catch some kind of creative bug?
2: None of them, no. Like, my, my no, not at all. Like, none of them, uh, I'm the only artist, I guess, in the family. Like, my stepsisters are just, like, they were uh, more, in. you know, they're, 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 they are successful at what they do. They're, in, you know, the stuff they did. one raises a family, one, the other one, she's, uh she now is a, uh, a corporate, um, corporate steward or like a a host on a plane whatever server Mm i don't know what they call them so that they're genderless but um yeah she does that and then my sis my biological sister she uh she went the route of going to school for like a whole bunch of random stuff and then also having a kid and doing a bunch of different stuff but nothing really in in any level of like arts or creative creative stuff like that um, she, I mean, she liked ballet when she was a kid, but she, you know, to be a ballerina, you got to really have a knack for that, you know, for that type of dancing. And so she was kind of limited in that regard. But, um, but yeah, and I was, I was just, I just did this stuff in my, you know, away from people seeing me. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then, like I said, it was like, I found other people and then we it crept out. And, um, and like I said, my favorite band was the Melvin since I was 15, which was a weird band to like admire mainly because thinking like a comedian they were the first band I saw that I was like how do you handle it when an audience doesn't like you because I would see all these bands that would bomb on a regular and I would love it because I'm like you get to see like nothing's funnier than watching in the music scene than watching a thrash band or a band that's like really postured they got their amps all you know ready from Guitar Center and they got their you know all of this all of this posturing in their hair and everything and they're playing to like say like 15 people in a, in a big club and mm-hmm. you know not many people are there because it's a local showcase and uh, and they're playing their thrash song and everybody's kind of digging it and they're bobbing their head and they're like well, what the
0: fuck everybody come on start a
2: pit what the hell man like whatever and you're just like chill that's awkward there's there's 15 of us man like yeah. if we want to start a pit we will but we're gonna chill we got a lot of space here I don't like, think the
0: band decides when a pit starts that's right? exactly my point point. and, yeah, and yeah. same thing
2: with laughter it, it's yeah. an involuntary response yeah. and if the audience wants to start a pit they'll start a pit you be you're supposed to be the source of inspiration. There is nothing. There is no contract between yeah. the performer and the audience that states that the audience has to do what you want them to do. No, you're the performer. It's it's your job to inspire them to do whatever the desired result yeah. is. And the Melvins. So so I would see these bands. I would Guar being one of my favorite bands when I was a kid, and every band that would open for Guar, no matter how good or bad they were. The, op- the audience would get there early specifically to boo the opening bands and I never understood that I'm like, if you guys really don't like it here, just show up late, man. Guar ain't coming out any sooner. Yeah, like I, I, because I, I'm like, I want to see these opening bands through, like you know, just stop booing them, stop spitting on them, stop throwing shit, like let them play. Right. And uh, but it was almost like a rite of passage, and they got used, like the bands. They had this one band called Agony Column that cracked me up. They weren't, they weren't like the best band or whatever, and they were ugly as shit. But it was funny as hell because they were like the whipping boy of all of the bands that that like they regularly opened for Guar were yeah. regularly shitted on by the Guar audience uh-huh. and. Uh, uh, and that's all I know them for was was touring with that That's Bar. kinda toughen them up, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it kinda was. But um so then uh but then and I was hearing about the Melvins. I noticed the Melvins, they they were living out here in San Francisco at the time, and I would see that they played a lot of free shows in the area and I was like and I would see the bands that they were playing with, which some would be punk bands, some would be metal bands, and I'm like, Who's this band? The Melvins? Like that it, it just the name intrigued me. Like who would pick that name? It sounds so stupid. But I it was but it was intriguing and then um, and I would see I'm like oh I gotta check these guys out sometime like just something about the name drew me right away and then out of nowhere Nirvana hits and the next thing you know I'm hearing about interviews with Kurt Cobain and he's name dropping Public Enemy and Nirvana or not uh, Public Enemy and the Melvins and I'm like the Melvins that's the band from like that's that band that plays the free shows like no way that's the same band yeah, and uh, again, it's before the internet and all that kind of shit, so you can't just look something up. But yeah, lo and behold, finding out that the Melvins are from Washington, that they were, you know, they were kind of like the the guys, the older guys that uh, Nirvana knew, and then also Dale Crover from the Melvins played on Bleach. Found that all more later, but so uh, it's 1992, and Guar is playing a split headlining show with the Melvins at the Omni, where I would go see shows in Oakland. And I'm like, oh, cool! I can finally like Melvins are playing with Guar. Interesting. Like now, I finally get to see this band that I'm hearing about that I've been curious about. And um, and so we go, and uh, and it was my favorite Guar show. It was the that was the pivotal show where I went from like there was music before this show that I listened to, and then there was music the way it changed the way I looked at music after this show, because Melvins. They answered my question. What do you do with this guar audience that are obnoxious assholes that are there for this, you know, this this, uh, Muppet show on acid, uh, uh, obnoxious performance, but it's a lot of fun. Um, They went out there and they set up their amps, or their amps were already set up. Well, they would go out there individually and they started turning their things on and uh, letting them feed back, and then they would go backstage and they would let the amps feed back they were letting them feed back to a deafening volume slowly over the course of like 30 to 40 minutes holy shit it was it was truly hilarious like and and it, the thing, the hilarious thing about it—they
0: didn't even play. They just
2: let the well, the feedback. They, not they would. They let the amps feedback, and then yeah. not only that, or it was either the amps, so they had this sound, but it was deafening. And the thing that was hilarious about it, because I knew they were deliberately fucking with them, because one every now and then one of them would come back up, pick up their their guitar, or, or like individually, and act like yeah. you're like come on, yeah, like you know yeah. whatever. And then they would take it right back off and go. <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking hilarious.
1: And they oh, did this what a fuck they you're... did it
2: for so long. Oh. And the, fu- the the reason why I knew it was like it was it was a fuck you to the Guar audience. Um I looked every they, these guys were pissed. They they are fucking so p- but they can't like flip them off cuz they're covering their ears too cuz it's so loud. Uh-huh. The Omni actually I heard they instituted a volume uh, ordinance after that show because it hurt so many ears. And, uh, so... (laughs) But And I look over And there are these two guys That are trying That are trying to smoke weed This was before I even smoked weed But they were smoking a bowl uh, Between the two of them And they were I could tell They were the one They were the two Melvins fans Amidst all these Guar fans Cause they were smiling Ear to ear Like Like they got That this was a, a gag Yeah And They knew uh, what's going on And yo know, yeah And they were just like Fuck yeah Fuck all you Guar fans like, <laughs> Cause I was kinda like that I'm like I love Guar But I hated Guar fans Yeah And uh And so it was so goddamn funny and then, so then the, after all of this shit, the Melvins fucking shook up the hornet's nest, and then they come back out, and then they played I believe the first song they played was uh because it was a slow, sludgy one, and my guess is it was uh Boris, which is one of their iconic songs from my favorite Melvin's album bullhead, and uh it's this slow, dirgy song that uh is and not only that a lot of their songs at that time, and still to this day um they really play with time signatures that are not standard four4 catchy time signatures. Mm-hmm. So they do they, and not only that, they wrote a lot of songs that where the riffs would be would have odd changes. It was like Math rock? I wouldn't even it, Math rock is something that would came later more or less, but these guys were kind of they were way ahead of their time in the sense that they were writing music that was intentionally trying to be challenge, to challenge the ear. Mm-hmm. and they even admit it themselves like they wrote songs that they don't even know how the hell they could remember them to play them afterwards like were riffs that wouldn't repeat and things like that and, uh, and well, just it's
0: kind of like Captain Beefheart. right? very
2: that's one of their that's one of their uh, influences one of their main influences is Captain Beefheart and um, so they did a lot of that and was it was one of those things where uh, I, and I'm listening to this shit and they were it was the loudest I've ever heard a band at that time slowest, some of their songs, like they've had some other songs that were speedy, but like, again, it wouldn't be fast for long. It would go back into a dirge or something. And I'm like this, and they were weird looking. They were weird looking. This is when they had Joe Preston in the band briefly. So he looked like Charles Manson with glasses. Uh, Buzzo had his whole shaved sides of the head and he had his weird Afro, you know, top, thing that was he looked like a pineapple basically and uh and then dale would play in his underwear and like this weird tidy like not whiteies it would be like green or purple but this you know these, these like uh like speedo underwear that he would wear which i you just didn't see that very often and and his kit was like made up of these weird like noise makers along with his drum set and it was just the heaviest shit i ever heard and i'm like I don't even care that I'm that about this music right now. This is the best attitude I've ever seen. They played a long fucking set, and they irritated the fuck out of these fans so much that by the time Guar came out, like uh, like forty five minutes later, when Guar was was due up, it was like an hour later, uh, half of those people were gone. And it was almost like we, I got a private guar show for like it was the first guar show I'd been to where it wasn't like jam packed and I'm like you know like we're all in there like cattle and everybody's up squashing in the front trying to get blood on them because half the audience left they were they hated the Melvins and they took off nice. so the rest of us got to enjoy a more uh, a more uh, roomier guar show and uh, it was great but it was like they fucking won they how do you yeah. if they don't like you make them fucking hate you yeah. and and yeah. don't don't uh, it Are, was those principles you care over to comedy right to some extent uh, in a different way I don't want to say like that's that was more a music attitude that it does it's basically it's about sticking your guns being yourself like they
0: they yeah. weren't like yeah which, I mean, if, which is an interesting notion yeah. having integrity with your craft mm-hmm. that I I debate once in a while with some comedians here yeah where it's like, I mean, because like it's all about being funny, but I'm like, yeah, but I feel that's, it would be great to have integrity while you're being you, being funny.
2: The, the thing about with, with comedy that's different, especially with comedy at our level, being the more aspiring comedian scene versus the prose and whatnot, um, yeah. You, you, yeah, integrity is important if you really have something to say and if what you're saying is something that's genuine genuine from the heart and in, and especially comedically speaking – if there are if there is if there are people who understand what it is that you're doing like Andy Kaufman for example Andy Kaufman was a guy who at that time confused the fuck out of everybody but he you know and everybody gives him a lot of credit for a lot of shit that what's weird about it is that he had people he had industry on his side through all of his weird fucking ideas which that stuff does not happen nearly as often today Mm -hmm. Um, where you have people taking chances on some weird ideas but they have to prove themselves in being whores for the industry before they do anything like that Andy Kaufman was one of these weird guys that for whatever reason his charisma and, and the people that he worked with he 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 had clout with people at various levels that got him to a to a next level to where you know I was just checking out some of his TV specials that he had on on network television and they're fucking weird and the fact that he got it pulled off and that it's still funny today yeah. like a lot of the stuff that he did was like just uh, my favorite thing is Tony Clifton that's just and I've gotten to meet Tony Clifton Bob Zmuda playing Tony Clifton which is great I met him twice. And uh and he's he's a super sweet dude in spite of being Tony Clifton. Right. But that character and the shit that they do with that character and then Jim Carrey which I didn't really care for Jim Carrey. I just have that Jim and Andy movie that's out right now that's about his him going method being Andy. I didn't care for that part, but him be it was worth it to see him be Tony Clifton because he was great. He was a great addition to Tony Clifton. Uh-huh. Uh, the Andy shit where he was trying where he was trying to make it real with Jerry Lawler backstage and all that and like and he's like that was Andy that wasn't Jim. I'm like shut the fuck up, you pretentious fuck. Like you know it's like you could have done it without having to do like even even Andy <coughs> would know that. Right, but um. But it was uh, – but yeah, and just seeing that – so that's where I, I look at like your integrity really just it comes into play if you really feel with the strength of conviction that uh, what you're trying to convey comedically is funny. and But that's where, again, you get into this weird gray area of – just because you think it's funny or you like I mean there's a lot of people where uh actually I keep getting messages from one of these guys right now who's a a newer comic recently and he runs his room and he's like probably he's one of my favorite like like I don't want to watch him (laughs) I I he's I, I, I like the fact that he's a good sport when I when I trash him when I see him live and uh, and I don't even want to say his name because I don't want to give him any attention that that you know it's like if you get any detention any attention you des- he deserves detention not attention but um but he uh, and he keeps messaging me his videos that he's making right now I'm like I ain't watching any that videos clips? man yeah like he Why? sends them to me because he's weird. The fuck? He's just he's just weird, and uh, and he says he says inappropriate things on stage, which is fun for me to watch as, as like uh, you know just watching things just go watching, wrong. Watching him bomb. I love watching accidents, not watching them bomb, but watching accidents. Uh-huh. Like you know, he, he says things. I'm surprised he has, he hasn't gotten his ass kicked yet. Uh, and it's not all intended to be deliberate. It's just not good comedy right now. But from the God's point of view of like okay, from like this outsider like let's see how long it's gonna like, like he could have a a good set. He hosts a room and, and, uh, and one of my jokes about, I even said it online when, when they, when he was brought up, I'm like, uh, I said, yeah, he always, he does a great job of making sure that any momentum uh, that goes. Actually, this can be said about a few different people that I know. But where uh, they their their whole goal is once you have a set with good momentum, that they they want to do their best to spend at least two to five minutes ruining that momentum, uh, and uh, before they bring up the next comedian and hopefully walk a few motherfuckers before uh, before that next comedian goes uh, up, yeah. which is all a, which to me is always a challenge of like comedy at that at the bottom level is like yeah if you can't if you can't find joy in like taking the frowns and turning them upside down whatever the circumstances, good luck. Because uh, in it, it, the same thing, it's one of the things that, like, even Dave Chappelle expressed in his current special that, like, some people were giving him shit for about the whole brittle spirit thing about, you know, this one chick saying that, you know, the whole incident with Louis C.K. Ruined her, ruined her comedy dreams. It's like, you may not have had a dream if that's something that ruins it. Like, really, if anything, it's and it's not to say, like, yeah, nobody would want to experience that shit. It's, it sounds horrible. But... There are worse experiences, and and as a comedian, it's you know it seems like actually ripe to ripe opportunity to come up with something uh, inspired by it to make it funny or whatever. And not only that, now you've got now it's out there, and now you got the guy not denying it. Mm-hmm. So now it's like uh, now you've got technically time on your side, and uh, and yet th- that's where it's like you know it's show business is a brutal business, and it's not to it doesn't. I'm not saying that that should be that's how it should be mm-hmm. but it's not it,
0: it, it's not uh, it's not as glamorous as people think no
2: it's not even that's not as glamorous it's not an everybody gets a medal right uh, medium right it's a medium for people that are that have talent that are driven that have uh, you know it's a lot of different combinations of things and it's not for everybody and it's not meant to be for everybody. And I don't even look at it. It shouldn't what I'm be doing. for everybody. No. And that's and the fact that what the thing that's very tricky about stand up comedy is that it's a medium that everybody sees it and they think they can do it. More so than music, more so than anything else, because all you need is a microphone and a mic stand and you take a good picture of one of these fucking jack offs, you know, out here at that's on some showcase and they could be eating fat dicks. But you take the right picture, they look like they're doing it and and you don't know what they're saying on the microphone. And then you've got uh you know, a level of like, you know, whether or not people are really uh honest with themselves if they have the capability of being honest with themselves. Like how do you really <laughs> think you did? Sorry. Yeah. Oh no, no problem. It's like how do you really think you did? You know, you, you could go out there if you got a few laughs, you know, whatever, you know, have you been to a show where somebody's really killing? Killing is where people are laughing so hard they can't catch their breath. Yeah. That's that's killing when people say that they crushed it, killed it and all that at, at my level or below or even a little above and i just see like no you had a good set. You had a good set, but it wasn't like dying with laughter. I have yet to I've had a few really strong sets where i feel like i almost hit that level of killing it where people were some people even said like they were having trouble breathing or whatever, but i'm like, yeah, i know i know my material, i know what i do and i know i perform it. I don't I don't even know if i have that level of rhythm. But um But when I see other people, you know, claim it and all that other stuff. And there are people that I do know that are... are, I had to follow a set, actually, uh, Chad Opitz who you know. Oof. Yeah, he's... Okay. Yeah, he's a very funny guy and um, he's a very creative guy. I, I always... I love ripping on him, though, too. It's like, yeah, you know, he's a one-man improv act, motherfucker. Because, um, no, he... Cause, no, he, he he's writes... such a good sport, oh, though. He, he is. No, he's, he's such a good guy. I've, I've known him since he started. I used to see him eating shit with, with his jokes, so it's like to see a guy go from that in, like, depressing rooms to where, yeah, he's, like, a local, you know, a guy that, that, that people love to yeah. see. And, uh, and I've seen his act plenty. Um and uh and he does the uh he he does that closer if a crowd is a good crowd i had to follow him at the punchline at a showcase on sun on a sunday and he did his coors light bit and uh and and this crowd was it was funny because the crowd was good but they really woke up for chad and then they and the more that he does those bits that are like just have built-in applause breaks because he gives such an effort to it even if crowd sucks they usually applaud and, um, but they were eating it up and he's going all over the fucking place. And then he goes and does his somersault back on the stage. And they're just like, oh, like they've never seen a somersault before. And, uh, and I had to follow that shit. So, and it was a perfect time because not many people can do this too. And I don't encourage it either. I don't encourage people to shit on each other, whatever. I know Chad. I love Chad. Um, but I'm like, I'm more looking at like, fuck, I'm gonna follow fucking, you know, because right. I, I, cause it's not, and it's not anything against Chad. I, Hate seeing, uh, and this is just me. This is my own personal thing. When I see a large group of people really enjoying themselves, and I'm not feeling it, I fucking hate them. All right. If I'm in a restaurant and I see like a party and just everybody's, I'm like, man, fuck you. What are you so happy? Yeah, I can't that? believe you. All I've right? been there. Yeah. So, so now I'm in this position where it's like I'm not going to go up there with bitterness. I know that that's not the way to go. All right. You can't shit on the previous performer because they, you know, they did a great job. You can't do any of that shit. But I saw a window of opportunity to say something that I know uh, you couldn't normally say uh, without people getting butt hurt or people thinking that like I'm I'm you know some bit I am a bitter guy I'm a bitter guy in general this is not anything against Chad uh, but I do hate following. That Coors Light bit when it crushes, and I hate following uh uh, uh this guy, uh, Chris Riggins. who always tends to do well in certain rooms because he just he just thinks he's the God's greatest gift to to comedy since Dave Chappelle, and and he's a very funny too. But I know him; he loves himself a lot, and uh, so I and we're good friends. And like I so I always, but I've had to follow him too because Bentley as well. I've had to follow a lot of the the good guys locally. When after they had a crushing set, and I always would insist, like, do it because that's the only way you get better is to, is to see how well you can do following somebody who really sets the, the high bar of, of a room. But today, like those guys are like Mark Smalls and, and, and locally and um, and uh, Andrew Rolfo and stuff. Uh, uh, so, anyways, but I so I follow uh, I follow Chad up there, and I was like, and uh, and you know, and the, and the crowds like they're you know in a great mood now and so here i am mr asshole and i i said one line i forget what it was and i was like yeah all right you know i said something just getting settled in and then i look and there's this chick very attractive girl who had her awesome legs kicked up using the stage as her as her footstool to kick up her feet and she's got her nice nice you know i said oh man said yeah you know you you use the stage as your footstool those are some awesome legs and you know just just being you know just thinking out loud and I said it would have been hilarious if one of your heels would have stabbed Chad in the ass when he rolled up here on that stage right so I, and that's an honest thought and they, <laughs> oh, start, they start laughing at that shit right I'm like <laughs> I said yeah I couldn't help but notice but you guys are way into basic calisthenics than I've ever seen anybody else before like you, you never saw a somersault you know they, they happen all the time at like you know Gymboree and shit and um and, uh, and they they were They loved that line And then uh, And I said uh, I said yeah And if you guys If you guys really like Chad uh, You should check out a movie Called School of Rock And I was like Because the way he ends it, I was like I was trying to rem- remember I'm like Why does Chad feel so familiar I'm like Jack, Oh he's Black. Jack Black Yeah Like it's Jack Black Like he even said Slamming uh, Like he does his part in this bit I'm like He sounds exactly like Jack Black And um, that's not taking away Anything from him But I do realize Like I do kind of feel It's like we have this short attention span with entertainment to where like, like when uh, uh, there's another guy, Jesse head who everybody loves locally. He's a very funny guy, clever, wise ass. He can be also a jerk sometimes, but he's very funny when he does it. Um, but he feels like this guy, Andrew Daly, who's well known in movies and in, in, you may not know him by name, but if you saw his face, you're like, Oh, it's that guy. He was like, you know, he's this one of these white guys. He's the guy who did, um, Review the, that show on Comedy Central review where he reviews life experiences and right. just fucks up his life. And he's hilarious. Yeah. But he has that kind of same like, oh, yes, and whatever, da-da-da, like that kind of delivery where he sounds like a benign white guy, but he says some some crazy or puts himself in some very intense stuff. And Het has that kind of... You know that he's a little more wise assy, like with that smile of his. But he, uh, and he's he started in the South Bay before he went out to the, and became a favorite uh, in Oakland, and San Francisco. So yeah, so it's like, uh, so whenever I've got to like, and it was cool because I my set because of that, my set ended up carrying that momentum. Not shitting on Chad, but just kind of giving my little wise ass insight into it. And uh, and I also but I also did shit on the host uh, Michael Sella that night because something he said earlier to me and that got a huge so I ended up having a good set but it was. But again, there's a little bit a hint of Don Rickles and Tramp the insult comic dog in the character that I portray with doing Mean Dave. So,
0: mm.
2: and I that comes from my family, my Gordillo side of my family. They're all Mexican. They all treat each other like shit as yeah. a virtue. They, yeah. they they rip on each other. Coming and,
0: from a Latino family, it's shit talking, yeah, it's, all it's the time, comedy way.
2: Yeah, and I'm not I'm the nice one in that family. So it's like that's why it's funny when you know because uh, they're, they're you know they they all are curious about it. And then uh, my actually my uncle just wrote me a joke i haven't done it as much recently but uh he uh i i he he did one of those things where he said hey i got something for you you can put this in your act and and i tell the setup of how i even wound up at his house because i don't even hang out with his uncle too much and uh and he tells me the story of one of my relatives uh from guatemala that was staying with him her and her boyfriend and he took him shopping like throughout the week and how long she took like five hours at the livermore outlets and then took seven hours the next day at at uh at the Stone Ridge Mall, and then he took him to the grocery store on the day of this barbecue that I got. I was told the wrong day to go to, and um, and they go to the supermarket to go get more beer. Not only did they buy beer, but they bought Kool Aid and they boxes of Kool Aid and all flavors of Cheetos. And uh, and then I said, and the point of me telling you this is to point out that this is just as boring a story to tell as it was to hear the first time that my uncle told it to me, and it belongs nowhere in my act. Uh, I'm trying to prove a point to him. And, uh, you know, because he thinks the butt of the joke, like, I can make a joke out of my relative from Guatemala who enjoys shopping in America. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? It's Guatemala, man. <laughs> I figure he gives you the concept. Yeah. And no, I'm like, I'm like, line. the joke is that you think that this is something that I should put in my fucking act. So you're the butt of my joke now, yeah, Uncle. But yeah.
0: uh, I get that from my dad sometimes. Oh, yeah. He goes, I got something for you. And yeah. It turns out to be like a five story, mm-hmm. five minute story about something. I'm sure it was funny in your head, you know? <laughs>
2: But yeah and, that's, but I'm, I, it's, and it's just a fun It's a fun thing to do And that's how we rib each other So I'm looking forward To my uncle being At one of my shows And like Oh yeah This is a joke them, Yeah this is a joke My uncle gave me Hey right here I'm going to tell it right now And embarrass the fuck out of him So Alright uh,
0: I Mean Dave Yeah we, we've, uh, we've got a little Over an hour Yeah I figured I uh, talk a lot Thank you <laughs> I, I think as we're closing out uh, yeah. This this episode here And cool. thank you for coming Thank um, you man Thanks for having we're, me we're, we're good Yeah You had a good time No, no, No. awful time. I'm sure you wouldn't want any other way comfortable.
2: You Uh, know, I didn't. uh, I I didn't get out what I really wanted to say. Like I said, I'm sure you would not not
0: want to have it any other way. Yeah. So I'm happy to provide very satisfied experience.
2: I didn't (laughs) come. I didn't masturbate in here in front of you, Jorge. Makes
0: two of us. Mm. All right, me and Dave. Thank you for coming, man. Thank you, Jorge. Oh, that mean Dave. What a guy. What a guy. All right, that's it for this Sunday. Have a great rest of your week. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in. Once again, please subscribe if you have not already on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. And we'll be back next week on Sunday. Sunday, we have another comedic guest. And I think he's someone that's uh, very well known here in San Jose. Once, you, Even if you guys seen this guy's act once, he would have remembered him for sure. So uh, have, a, have a good one. See you later. And stay cool.